Hi, I'm Ryan North. I'm Lori Fungi. And I'm Sean Wilson. You're listening to Foster Family Matters, a production of CK Family Services, people united through God to enhance the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of at-risk children and families. Welcome back to Foster Family Matters. Uh, we uh, are certainly glad that you decided to come back and join us yet again. Um, we're, we're really having a lot of fun with the Whole Brain Child series that we're doing this summer. We hope that you guys are enjoying it as well. Today, actually, before we get into the content, I want to, wanted to take just a moment to remind everybody we have a Facebook group. It is literally just the name of the show. So Facebook.com, Groups, uh, Foster Family Matters. That's the group. Join it, get in there, chat with us, uh, share your ideas. Uh, if you've got uh, show topic ideas or questions that you'd like for for our esteemed uh, hosts to, uh, to field in future episodes. Also, don't forget to subscribe, like, pin, review, twink, peep. Do it all. Tweet. Pink. Is that a thing? Can you it, pink? It is. No. We're all going to find out. Is that a social? <laughs> okay. That's your assignment, Facebook group. See if you can pink this episode. If you can pink it, let me know. Because my daughter is all about the pink and she would love you for that. Today we're talking about chapter five. Yep. And chapter five is titled, I don't have it right in front of me. The United States of Me. Integrating the many parts of the self. I am all about me. Who, who's on, who doesn't find the United States of me as an appealing title? I mean, Isn't everyone's it? like, oh, yes, this one's about me. Right? Seriously. Okay, I'm in. Y'all go ahead. Talk about me. <laughs> well, one of the first things you should know about Sean. <laughs> I don't feel like playing this game. Oh, I was intrigued. I was like, oh, where is he going to take it? <laughs> he doesn't sit during podcast recording. He stands. He does stand. I'm and he drinks a lot of coffee. So if you've been listening to us for a while, that's not a surprise to you. Also, uh, since Sean's coffee came up, let's, let's integrate Sean with the audience. How about that? I like that. Um, Sean uh, Wilson um, is, I don't know the right, a, a coffee aficionado. Excellent. Yes. He only, he only buys coffee beans from some coffee shop in Arlington that grows its be- beans on the leeward side of some mountain in Ethiopia. Literally expert. And then, and then, and then he- Daily. Uh, yes, and then he roasts his beans by cupping them in his hands <laughs> while he watches television and the gentle warmth that that creates. Occasionally I have to blow on them, but not usually. <laughs> um, I, I know people think I'm joking, but do you roast your own coffee beans? Yes, I have roasted my own coffee beans. Do you I'm bu- not currently, but yes. Do you buy coffee beans from a specific shop in Arlington, Texas? <laughs> I, I buy from several Ryan specific shops. Ryan wants to shops, make sure that he's yes. hit all the right points. Yes, I don't, I don't, people, I don't, it sounds hyperbolic, but it is true. I don't always buy coffee beans in Arlington, but when I do, I buy them from a specific shop in Arlington. Are they always from Ethiopia? Uh, yes. Well, no. Sometimes. So like today I'm drinking from Kenya. I've, I've got a couple of so different. So worldly. I mean, I mean wouldn't, I wouldn't we consider. You're very worldly. This, does the Rift Valley run through Kenya? The United thing is fantastic. <laughs> it should be the world of you. I think we should uh, occasionally start an episode where the other two people speak about the one person. So we single you out here with your coffee roasting and stuff. Next time we're going to talk about th- things you don't know about Lori Fungi. Sounds like a lot of pressure. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The fact that you're only a little bit nervous means you're not paying attention to what's going on inside of you. <laughs> I'm not integrated. That's right. Um, and by the way, that is whole brain strategy number nine, paying attention. Paying attention. Do what's going on inside of you. That sounds good. 
See, I tried to bring it. It was awkward. It was no, a, no, it was an did, awkward dismount, but I tried. I tried. Yeah, I got a seven point nine though. You know, I was gonna go seven. You know why I didn't? Okay. I didn't know it was a dismount because he didn't throw his hands in the air like this <laughs> and arch his back. Like famously, when you don't do your gymnastics routine, you declare it to be a touchdown. <laughs> it's more That's like right. this. That's it. That's it. I'm so, so I'm so glad there's video evidence of me doing that now. <laughs> All back right, to the me, whole brain child. Let, let me try to wrangle this right. thing back into some kind of uh, context for for our episode today. So, the whole brain child, episode five, uh, integrating the many parts of the self. And uh, who wants to who wants to start us off talking about integrating the many parts of the self? I want to. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's mean. Uh, maybe just a recap in that in our past podcast when we talk about the many parts. So we started off talking about the upstairs and downstairs brain then we transitioned into the left and right brain then we talked about implicit and explicit memories and so now we're trying to take all that information and what does this mean how can we be our most optimal self by peering in and being mindful um, of who we are in the different actual states that make us all up and so one of the ryan was right um Thank you. We also now have video evidence of somebody saying Ryan was right. He, he jumped the gun a little bit and went to strategy nine, but we'll look over strategy eight that talks about feelings. And so what does this mm. look like? How do we integrate what we're feeling versus um, who we really are, what our reality is? And in the book, they do a great job of, of saying, I feel so dumb if I, if I fail on a test. Um, which is a really healthy way to say that yep. rather than I'm so dumb I just failed my test. And yep. I think we hear that regardless of gender or age. I hear adults saying I'm, I'm stupid and no, it's not your reality. And we want to help your mind shift from not thinking it's your reality. That's yep. just a feeling you're experiencing in that moment. Yeah, I, I, did, I do like um, a lot of things they talked about in this chapter, um, this concept of mindsight that, um, that Siegel has a book called Mindsight. Uh, understanding your mind and the mind of others. That sounds sort of like, sort of like high level, right? But, but I think we don't understand ourselves. And I think that, um, not a think, but I know that there's been, there's been studies done on one, what are the, some of the defining characteristics of people who are successful in life. Uh, one of those studies being um, people who are successful in the professional work environments. Um, and the one thing that everybody who checked the success box had in common was self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So this uh, integrating your, your feelings and your mind and understanding who you are and why you do things like that is so crucial to success. And, and I think we say this every episode that if, that if we're not doing the things in, that this book says in order to improve ourselves, we really aren't going to be very good at doing that with the children either, right? Because that's one, one of my favorite things about this book is that it is a dual track proposition. It is for moms and dads as well as for sons and daughters. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that wheel that they had, right, the, the, at the room uh, being attention and awareness and then at the hub being your executive function. Um, because I think that working through how you feel and who you are, um, we all get that confused, right? Uh, I'm a failure. Mm, you failed at something, right? I mean, Colonel Harland Sanders tried to sell his chicken to like 95 places before somebody actually bought bought the recipe and put it on the menu. Really? Yeah, it's the world's most famous chicken, hmm. right? And so if you if you measure failure by trying something once, and then uh, if you try something once, you don't succeed, and you declare yourself to be a failure, you won't go back to it. Hmm. And um, 
you know, none of us would be able to share in that delicious b- blend of 11 herbs and spices. Um, well, and not to mention what that does to your psyche. I mean, that that becomes your reality. I'm a failure, so I'm not going to a- make attempts. I'm not probably not going to try as much. I'm going to be nervous and cautious because of the fear of, of yeah. failing, right? And so now it changes the trajectory of really who we are. Yeah, and I think that um, really, really... Dif- differentiating between the reality of the situation and how you feel about the situation is really, really important. Um, and I think you can see that, you know, just sort of in the culture at large, a lot of what we, we, we do now is batted around by how people feel about stuff, right? And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're honest and take a deep breath, you can see some of the, the real negative implications of living in a world where everything is now determined by somebody's feelings, Right. Uh, objective st- st- standard child is precious made in the image of God God loves them but kids with trauma um, because of the, the the atypical development of their of their brains and a lot of other things don't believe that they don't feel like they are precious and when they don't feel like they're precious they act like somebody is not precious and so I think that's just a really valuable skill to have to be able to help the children differentiate between who they are and how they feel um, over time I think just trying to think back on how long we've been doing this at our house um, some of the some of the big emotions get a little a little a little smaller and, and the waves are easier to ride so you know what that made me think of and this is completely maybe in <clears throat> off topic which is pretty much my role I think on the show is to take <laughs> us as far away from the topic as possible when you, when you talk about when you talk about the difference or the prevalence in society today of like uh, trusting feel versus trusting empirical knowledge, right? Or, or like scientific fact, my mind went straight to the flat earthers. Yeah. Right. And I mean, they, they, they hang the theory of that the earth is actually flat today on what they believe is like proof, but it's really just kind of like somebody had a feeling Right. I mean, there's so much empirical evidence to the uh, to the alternative that the that we are on a globe we can around see the it globe. From yeah. outer space. And flat earthers, feel free to send your hate letters to our <laughs> north at ckfamilyservices.org because please do. And I will forward them directly to Shaw. Um, you know, OK, while we're going off topic, um, I do enjoy listening to a good flat earth conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it is compelling to listen to. Yeah. Um, no. You know, to kind of try to try to try bring it back, right? Because we talk about this a lot—the difference between being safe and feeling safe—and so um, a lot of times when you don't feel safe, right? That's why people panic on airplanes because they don't feel safe, right? I mean, Boeing's got a real problem now uh, when they do let those jets back in the sky. People are literally going to book around them because they don't feel safe connected to a Boeing seven thirty seven Max. Outside of the fact that. There is one flight control system, I guess, not I guess, I know this is a real reductionist view of the problem, but outside of a flight control system that malfunctions, the rest of the aircraft is spectacular, right? Before they grounded them, uh, we flew on one uh, from Dallas to Portland. It's about four hours in the air. It was, an, I mean, like, it was noticeably different airplane. It's quieter inside. You can hear other people's conversations, which was kind of annoying at first, right? Um, but it's a spectacular aircraft, but they got a real problem because people don't feel safe on the plane. So much, Boeing recognizes that so much so that I, rec- I read an article on Tuesday that they're considering rebranding the aircraft and dropping mm. the MAX designation and just calling it a 737-1000 or whatever. I don't know what number they're up to yet on that. Um, which is, again, the real value of separating reality from from your emotions. And you can't just 
you know, be clinical about that. You have to help the kid, right? You have to go over to the emotional side of their brain and connect and then bring them back over to, to the logical part of their brain. Well, and also it, it feels just listening to you two gentlemen, it, it feels binary. The, these arguments mm. of thinking versus feeling. Yep. Um, and really, we haven't gotten there yet. So just to put a little pin in because we plan to revisit um, a little bit later in the podcast. And that, that's a lot of what strategy nine is, is that it gets to be both and not only thoughts and emotions, but also sensations and images or memories that we've yeah. stored. And so when we're really exclusive and step back and look at all of those things, which is the United States of me, those four things make up who I am. And I have to, number one, be aware enough to identify that and number two aware enough to realize there's a need for me to sift or filter through that and there's a little tease to strategy nine but with strategy eight what i love is that the idea of that we all have feelings and there's a great analogy in the book of that we can sit in the middle of a thunderstorm and watch it rain we know without a shadow of a doubt that the rain is going to stop and that's how our feelings are. When sometimes we're in the mix of it, it's really hard to think, oh, I don't want to feel like this forever. Is this how I'm always going to feel? And to, to be mindful and remember that um, I think there was a number of feelings come and go in like 90 seconds. And I don't think when we're in an actual feeling, especially the more negative ones, the disappointment and the frustration and the anger and the sadness, that it's hard to remember, okay, this too is going to pass. Yeah. So we had, um, I don't know if the right word is altercation sounds too, too, too intense, but we had, we had a moment a couple of weeks ago at the house um, with, with our 16-year-old son. And, and once we kind of ridden that wave of emotion and we were at a place where, where he could talk about it, he said, I'm entitled to my feelings, was kind of his defense. And I said, yeah, you absolutely are entitled to your feelings. But I want you to remember one thing, feel, one thing. feelings come and feelings go. And really getting talked up and being unkind to people when you're at a place where your feelings are running the show, um, there, there are going to be negative consequences. People just go, oh, you know, he slipped his lid or whatever, right? So you have to sort of understand that feelings come and go and help people ride that because, you know, who else needs to remember that feelings come and go? Me. Me. Yeah, right? So um, because I, I often, you know, as for any of us who are, uh, parenting children who were not born into our families, um, which obviously this audience is, uh, days are hard. You know, fa right. Father's Day was complicated. Mm. And I don't want Father's Day to be complicated. I mostly just want to be left alone. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> like, ask, m m what does mom want? I just want my kids near me. What does dad want? Can you keep the kids away from me? <laughs> All day of golf. Okay, or at least just can we watch the golf or uh, something, right? <laughs> in peace and quiet. I, I watched a little bit of the U.S. Open, but um, the TV was conscripted for like, you know, some Wizard of Oz cartoon that Amazon now has or something. Um, yeah. So anyhow, I don't know much more to say other than feelings come and go. We need to help our kids they understand do. that. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair going back to saying, you know, having kiddos that weren't born to us, that 90 seconds may be quite extended, to be honest. I know plenty of kids that can tantrum for mm, several minutes up to 45, up to several hours, two and three hours. And so not to um, not to diminish the, the, those fits that are probably happening in your home if they're happening, those, those big DEFCON 1 um, long drawn out meltdowns, that's something completely different. 
that's when the body is actually stuck the mind is stuck in that downstairs fear and trying to survive um way to to just cope that child is just coping the best way they know how to and so we're not talking about those kind of meltdowns necessarily we're talking about the disappointment and the hundreds of emotions that we experience throughout a day they're pretty fleeting yeah and i think that again parents need to remember that that how we feel about what's going on is also fleeting yeah so true absolutely and and i would like to throw in a quick plug for those of you who are parenting children that were born to you because all of this still applies to you. Absolutely, well. yes. I have four children that were born to me, and, and every one of them has presented a different strategy <laughs> or, or required a different strategy to, um, to survive from time to time and be successful with than others. But um, I, th- I, think that, I think that these principles are things that are not just applicable to folks who yeah, find absolutely. themselves parenting Correct. someone else's children but, or ch- children that weren't born to them, but, but just parenting. It, yep. It's a shared, uh, ch- shared experience. My plug for this book is that everybody who has children, everybody that um, once was a child themselves, and everybody who has to deal with other people who once were children themselves should read the book. Amen. Because, you know, understanding how the brain, because it's, it's the thing that governs the rest, right? I mean, we think about we, we brain, we think about like intelligence and smart and logic and all those things, but it is also where all of your emotions live. Right. Right. And so we have to consider both of that. I know we talked about in the previous episodes, left brain, right brain, won't get into it again. But, but understanding the brain, I think, is paramount in succeeding in any endeavor in life that involves you needing to relate to other people. And that's what I love that you, you basically just give, gave um, the definition of mindsight that this chapter is centered on. And that's understanding our own mind as well as the minds of others. And Dan Siegel, if you don't know, he is brilliant and renowned in mindfulness. In fact, he's the head of it's called IPNB. Um, and that stands for interpersonal neurobiology. And there's a lot of studies on what does it mean to be mindful as an adult? What does it mean to be self-aware? And Ryan and I and Sean, we will say this as many opportunities as we possibly have of the value and the importance of putting yourself first and increasing your self-awareness. Yeah, so um, another while we're talking here, Kurt Thompson, um, who wrote a couple of great books, um, Anatomy of the Soul and The Soul of Shame, um, he, he quotes Dan Siegel a fair amount in both books. But, uh, but I, love, um, I love the way Kurt puts things, uh, in and between your mind. I remember the first time I heard him say that, I was like, we have to integrate what's in and between your mind. And I'm like, hmm. But these are, these are really, really, really smart people who have done a lot of hard work to help us understand the human brain and how the human brain works. And so I'm grateful for that because, uh, you know, the example in the book about the kid being scared of the ceiling fan, they're going to fall yeah. down and chop him to pieces. Um, I got, we got a lot of, of bedtime anxiety at our house, okay? And, and to Sean's point, the, most, the vast majority of that bedtime anxiety is connected to one of the children that's biologically ours. Um, but, but helping her feel safe at bedtime, because I love these little three, these cartoons. I'm going to hold yes. it up. Um, the first one's deny and dismiss, and then the other one is, um, you know, teaching the strategy and what how page? to do that. What page uh, is it on? In and out the book, there's a, there's a couple of them, like on page... Uh, 107, 104, there's just, there's, there's just as I do these strategies, but um, the deny and dismiss was really, really uh, condemning for me uh, when I reread this chapter because I think we do that so much more than we really want to because that is the natural, right? Well, I mean, even on this illustration, because it's, it's 
pretty benign. So Ryan's right. They give a f- example of probably something majority of us would say. And then they give an example of um, how to do it differently based on the strategies in this book. And it's a little picture on 104. It's a picture of a dog hiding. And you can tell that the little girl is sad and crying because the dog ate um, a project or something of hers. And the dog ate her homework now. A painting or whatever. Yes. And dad says, actually, Ryan, you read it since. Actually, you know what? I was, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump ahead to the next example they give because this is the one that actually bugged me because this is the thing we do. So the one on the, the, the example on one, uh, page 107, the kid's in bed and he says to his, and the dad's reading to him and he says, I can't go to sleep. I'm scared of mummies. To which the dad replies, There's nothing to be afraid of. Yes. <laughs> Look around. There are no mummies in the closet, under your bed, or anywhere in your room. Now go to sleep. You're safe. You're safe. Let, let, me, let me tell you why that condemned me. When my now 10-year-old daughter was about four years of age, she knocks in our bedroom door. And we keep our bedroom door locked um, when we're in there for a couple of reasons. One, because we want to teach the kids that they need to knock before they come into the only place in the world that my wife and I have that we can claim as exclusively ours. And the other one is, before we did that, uh, a kid came and woke me up one night, Daddy, and I, it was pretty close to me punching the kid in the face because it startled me. And I, like, I remember taking a, like, cocking my fist and getting ready to fight. And so, um, so she knocks on the door. She's about four, four, four and a half years old. And she says, three o'clock in the morning. And she says, Daddy, I'm scared. And I said, there's nothing to be scared of. Mm-hmm. Go back to bed. And then I woke up the next morning and I thought to myself, you said to a four-year-old girl, who, by the way, what we want is we want our kids to come to us for help when they need it, right? That's one of the hallmarks of secure, of secure attachment, your ability to seek and receive care. She sought me out to care for her, and I dismissed her and told her, there's nothing to be scared of, just go back to your bed. And that happened um, you know, almost five years ago now, I mean, almost six years ago now, and I think about it often because that's what we do. We just dis- dismiss and deny. We deny their feelings and we dismiss the children. And um, the danger of that for me is that if we deny and dismiss, deny and dismiss, well, number one, they don't get the help they need to, to overcome the issue they're dealing with. But the other thing is that when they're 16 years of age and their lives get more complicated and we desperately want to know what's going on, we've already coached them. Don't come to me with your problems. Right. And then we're sitting and complaining, I just wish they'd let me in. Well, you've told them for the last 16 years, I don't, don't, don't. Go away. We train, we train people how to treat us. That's exactly right. And, and, and this is why this is so important is that we do need to connect with the kids. We do need to help them through their problems, whether that's be explaining that emotions come and go. Right? I mean, you know, it's better than explaining that emotions come and go, modeling that emotions come and go. That's right. And, you know, um, it's part of why this book's complicated for me because I really like it, but I really hate it at the same time. Cause it's, <laughs> it's mostly convicting. Like, it's a mirror. Yeah. And I don't like mirrors. Yeah. I can't even say the word correctly. How, Somebody what, said. What, what is Mirror. Mirror. What, what did you say? Mirror. Mirror? How do you, how do you pronounce M-I-R-R-O-R? It's a mirror. It's a, a mirror. mirror. A mirror? Mirror. It is the word I pronounce the least Join best. our Facebook group and <laughs> submit audio samples of saying mirror to us so we can learn. The looking glass thing. <laughs> the thing the with the reflection. <laughs> I, I, do, I do find it to be the word I pronounce the least best in all of English. That and known. Known? You go knowing. Knowing? You say knowing? I don't say knowing. That's like an Irish name or something. I, I throw a flag Noen on that Frankie. No. Listen, listen so, to the last podcast. And I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> kind of along the lines of what you were just saying, Ryan, about the in, in this whole deny and dismiss thing, man, I am so guilty of that over the years. And, and I've been parenting for 
uh, a couple of decades now. So I've had the opportunity to learn from some of my mistakes, which just means that when I fail now, it I feel really you guilty feel bad about, about it because I know better. Yes. But um, uh, we, were, we were engaged in some stuff and without being too specific, we were engaged in some stuff this past weekend and uh, my daughter was having a really difficult time. My five-year-old was having a really difficult time with the circumstances. And she was, um, oh gosh, I hate to even say whiny, but she was, she was crying a lot. She was tearful. She was just highly emotional. And um, at some point, uh, someone in our group uh, said to her, um, you know, when I was your age, my father would have told me that if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something gonna to cry, cry about. about. Yep. Which which is is that same thing, right? It's you're annoying me and you need to stop because if you don't, I'm going to injure you. <laughs> and yep. that that is not I mean, it is relationship building It's just not the kind of relationship you want to build with your five year old daughter. Well, it's in, what's interesting about that, because you're right, that is not the relationship with your five year old daughter. So um, so I'll use this example uh, when you're tra- doing pre-service training with 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 uh, prospective foster families. Complete this sentence. If you don't stop crying and the whole crowd says, I'll give you something to cry about right back at me. Everybody wow. knows it. Mm-hmm. We were all raised like that. That's it. But, but the funny thing about that is in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, this phrase is an actual example Bessel van der Kolk uses, and he calls it emotional abuse of children. Mm. Because what we want as parents is we want the kids to stop bugging us. We want them to suppress their feelings, and we just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. But he's suggesting that the child has identified their parent as their provider and protector, and they are injured. The reason we know they're injured is because they're weeping. And they come to the person who's supposed to protect them, and the person who's supposed to protect them says, if you don't deny your emotions, I'm going to hurt you. And we don't, think, but we don't think that's how the child's brain processes that stuff. And I just think... That, yeah, you know, the more you know, the more guilty you feel. I get that. But I also think that it allows us to, to even when we fail, to catch ourselves and then be able to do better. And I think that's, that's really the power of, of knowing more is that you can catch yourself because old habits die hard. That's a, it's one of the endearing phrases of my childhood. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. If you don't know that it's endearing. wrong, you're not going to try to do it right the next yeah. time. Right? And so it's it's it may feel that the, kind of that guilt and oh i can't believe i just respond that way and hence what we'll talk about later on in this podcast too the importance of repairing and rebuilding and so saying you know what mommy didn't handle that very well and buddy i am so sorry i know that you were sad and i just told you to get over it and that's not fair you know what we're going to get through this together mommy gets sad and i'm really sorry you feel sad right now and honoring and giving language to those emotions so the the biggest i think the biggest charge in this chapter is what does it mean to have mindset we want our kiddos to be compassionate and empathetic and how are we displaying that how are we modeling that how are we facilitating our kiddos in that practice in that process if we're not there yet and i i, I promise you the answer is we're not we're not being a part of that process. And you know, um, the, um, the generation that was raised on, if you don't stop crying, um, I'll give you something to cry about, is also the generation that was raised by parents who didn't apologize to them. And so... That's a, now, that's an experiment I do. Raise a hand. Who ha- has ever heard their parents say, I'm sorry for some kind of emotional 10% altercation? 10% of the crowd? Maybe that. And, and usually, there's quite a, the age discrepancy. Yeah. And so, you know, so this is sort of the double whammy because the people who are raised on the 
stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. We're not raised on the parents apologize to children right. plan. And so it's really, really hard to turn that ship around because we were asking you to do two things. Like we we're asking you to turn the ship around while going up a waterfall. Was that good imagery? Turn kind the ship of. around while <laughs> It's easy to go backwards when you're going up a waterfall, but maybe not in the forward direction. Yes, we want backwards progress. in the for- Can you go backwards in the forward direction? Dude, this is like in and between your minds right I'm, now. <laughs> yeah. So let, so let me ask you this, because I, I like uh, the first strategy, and we've been, I think we've been talking about several of these all at once, but uh, strategy number eight, the first strategy in chapter five, uh, let the clouds of emotion roll by, teaching that feelings come and go, right? And I think that, and, and I see on, on page 108, <laughs> it's very one small. of my favorite parenting tools on the whole world, yes. in the whole world, is uh, one of these little charts that that show the faces with uh, various descriptions of of emotions and and feeling states and so on and so forth. And I I will just personally attest if I had one parenting tool that I had to take uh, to an island with my five year old daughter, this is it because it's to to try to to try to rationalize or, or impart in a, in a rational way to a child the things that we're discussing right now about feelings come and go and, and those sorts of things goes nowhere if the child doesn't understand what feeling they're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, so, and who's going to be the person to teach them that? Who? Okay, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> but the parents, right? Sean Wilson. The parents. So the parents have to know what feelings they're experiencing. That's I think it. you need to have Sean Wilson, man of the people, underneath your name. <laughs> Is that what? <laughs> yes. Okay, man of the people. The United States. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll teach them. But I, I've used this with I've used this with three of my children now, and and um, the fourth, the the oldest one, unfortunately, I, I was not enlightened yet. Um, to, to know that this sort of a tool exists. But I can tell you that, it, and it's, it's frustrating at times because my five-year-old sometimes is better in tune with her emotional state than I am with my own at this point because that's, like, she grew up with me asking her, you know, uh, let's, let's name this emotion, you know, that sort of thing. She, you know, she would say, oh, I'm so angry, and, and we'd dive into it, and really she'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'd take her to the chart, and we'd see the face on here and she'd be like oh well no i'm not really angry i'm really this other thing over here you know i'm really sad and and so i'd be okay well let's fix you know let's talk about that and then something else that that she's popped on me here recently is mixed up feelings because because i think that we also like to as adults classify the experience that our child is having into a neat little bucket right they're they're angry they're sad they're happy right but but a child can be happy and sad at the same time Right. And, and that can create a lot of, uh, of behavioral expression that is frustrating to us as adults, because for the same reason that you can cry and and um, smile or laugh, you know, when you cry, when you're happy uh, kind of a thing, the child is experiencing that for the first time. And we as adults are, are kind of hopefully better adept at managing those sorts of mixed up feelings. But anyways, feelings chart. No, I think absolutely that, love it. Yeah, well, talking about about feeling more than one feeling at once, and it's, and and our desire as parents to put that into a neat little box. Um, the truth is that children can can be sad and mad at the same time, right? Or and sometimes people say when sad looks like mad. I think they're experiencing both emotions, right? And so a lot of times that sadness 
fear, anxiety, anything in that negative wheel over there, it does manifest itself as angry. And they say things that don't mean, they do things that don't mean. And, and if you understand that, like Saturday, we had quite the rodeo at the house, uh, real big emotions from one of our kids. And we kind of had to, had to ride that emotional wave, stay connected and, and deal with it as kind of we were able to progress. But, you know, we've been doing this for a long, long time. And, and I always tell people don't take it personally. I took it personally on Saturday. Mm. Like I went and locked myself in my bedroom and the kid's like, Daddy, I'm like, I need two minutes. Leave me alone, you know, um, because because I had to deal with my feelings. And some of the things that were said to me didn't make me feel very good about myself. And, you know. It's the day before Father's Day, and so all of whatever emotion baggage I have around any of that, which we're not getting into right now, uh, whatever emotion or ang- that I have around that, it all kind of like collided. And so, stay tuned for our new podcast, Ryan's Feelings Matter. <laughs> there you you know what? I'll be on that because you just affirmed me saying my feelings matter. Because part of my never mind, <laughs> um, you know. But again. Uh, we have to be in tune with our own emotions. We need to understand uh, what's going on, you know, and then coming back to what, whatever the, the ninth tool here is, what's going on inside, right? Yes. I love that, that stuff, sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. We experience, we do all of those things surrounding our emotional state, right? There are sensations. Think about when you're, when you're nervous, how your stomach hurts. The butterflies. Yeah, there's like a, there's like a bodily sensation, um, you know. If you're afraid to fly and you're sitting there in the in the seat and you're stunned, your butterflies are churning, I'm pretty sure you're having images of airplane crashes you saw in movies. Mm-hmm. At least I know I used to. Um, and then you have feelings and, and you have thoughts and, and all of these things that are just kind of colliding against you. And so, and they're overwhelming. They are because they that's a lot. They can completely take over. Absolutely. And so that's where the mindfulness comes in of taking those deep breaths and sifting through. So it's one thing that these four things will are comprised to potentially cause us to freeze and get stuck and yet the same strategy is going through these four things and evaluating your sensations okay what are you feeling right now well I feel the butterflies in my stomach but what else can you feel your bottom in your airplane chair can you feel the armrests around you can you feel a seatbelt around you and taking them away from just the butterflies and broadening their awareness of what they're sensing and then broadening their awareness well what do you see well I remember the movie Con Air and the the plane went down and okay, well, buddy, we'll think about when Daddy. You're went letting your on. children watch Con Air. That's all I got from that story. <laughs> That's pretty dated. Uh, did you see me struggle? I was hoping when you. It's all rated. Come. They have a man that eats people on that movie. <laughs> hey, buddy, I'm sorry. The Con Air is stressing you. Name, name a movie Stay where a plane. Stay tuned for our new podcast. <laughs> Lori takes us to the movies. Well, you, I'm sorry, you're making such a great point, and then Con Air just distracted me. <laughs> it was a really great point. Name uh, a movie that, where the plane goes down. Uh, That's not R-rated? Gosh. Uh, one of like, the airport movies from the 70s. I think like a plane going do down creates the situation in which a movie becomes R. Right? Lost. The TV show Lost. The airplane crashes. Okay. Perfect. Sean, edit all that out. <laughs> Sean, do me a solid nope. and don't. <laughs> no, nope. not a chance. I guess you're going to have to learn how to edit between now and next episode. Also, gonna you're have to welcome, find, everyone. And also have to find the location of the de- of the of the audio files. Can I get back? Yes, uh, we wish you would. <laughs> You've allowed this to be derailed. <laughs> You've allowed this to be derailed for far too long. Thank you. So then we go on into the images, and instead of instead of the negative images of a plane from the show Lost 
actually cra- <laughs> crashing that we're going to remind Johnny, hey, Dad, buddy, remember when Daddy went out of town for work and he came back? He flew on an, an airplane. And remember, we went to the airport and we waited for him. And we're going to turn uh, what can be a scary image into one that's positive, that's in his tool bag. It's in his repertoire. He's going to mentally go back and pull that memory out to be able to use it and feel safe in it. And then evaluating the feelings. But I know that you're really scared right now. But let's think about how happy you're going to be when we land in Disneyland and we get to do all the fun things that you're wanting to do. What are some things that you want to do? So now we're talking about the thinking part. Oh, are we going to ride that ride that you saw online or on your YouTube video? I can't wait to do that with you. And we've completely change the trajectory for that child by helping him become mindful of who he is on the inside and we've connected with him and now we're mindful too and it's this really sweet relationship where both our brains are benefiting from that connection can i can i ask a question you may so um so would it be a positive or negative interaction with your child that if they're scared to fly you explain to them that look you're excited about going to disneyland where all you've got on your side is you hope that the teenager who inspected the, the ride did a good job and you have gravity at this thing at least you've got a highly skilled highly trained highly compensated human being in charge instead of just gravity would that help <laughs> try I'm, it i'm looking for you par- let me know what i'm happens. looking for parenting advice <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're a bit of a laboratory here as well, folks. So uh, let's uh, we're we're getting we're bumping up against uh, thirty five minutes or so into this episode, guys. Um, let's uh, let's con- let's let's make sure that we've we've hit all the topics that we wanted to hit for this chapter, and then kind of head towards a conclusion for this one. Yeah. So the, the last one is getting back to the hub, and I like the, the example of uh, where the mom had her daughter Nicole lie down. They kind of talked through it. Yeah. Uh, instead of just letting her, her feelings um, sort of dominate. Um, just as transition between the, the previous thing, one of the things that, that I liked about uh, them connecting connecting to the sensations in, in, in Shift was we um, actually give our kids a vocabulary to, to describe their feelings instead of good or bad, tired, scared. I mean, you know, and that, that way we actually can help them process them because we actually help them understand them. If we just don't help them understand them, they're left to the vocabulary of my feelings are good or bad. Right. right. And, and, that, and that's not helpful. And that's my charge for you that on page 108, um, let's see, there's 15 feelings that they have listed, which is... I think that's way exaggerated. There's nowhere near 15 (laughs) feelings on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, most of those just have the same word underneath. It is so (laughs) imperative that as parents, we have an emotional vocabulary that we can teach to our children because when we do that, we increase their emotional intelligence. And so, 15 may feel like a lot right now if you're not an emotionally in tune person. So, I charge you with the seven basic emotions, and those are happy, sad, angry, frustrated, tired scared and excited and if you can work on those seven um, and and put them in your toolbox and try to use them hundreds of times throughout a day that's your goal so start hey if I can use these seven words at least 10 times today Mm -hmm. with my interactions with my kiddos I'm on a good start and that's going to increase your own emotional intelligence and the thing with with all this stuff with the brain is it's such a serve and return type of method. The more that I use it, the more in tune I'm going to be with myself. Yep. The more that I use it and I'm more in tune with myself, I'm going to be more in tune with my child. And so it just creates this really beautiful connection that I think so many of us as parents, we want behavior modification, but truly, truly, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we want solid 
um, secure relationships with our children. We yeah. want to feel connected to other people. That's how God created us, yep. where we thrive in relationships. And so I've just, I feel really passionate about the, the importance of working within ourselves so that we can better others around us and they're going to better us too. It's this serve in return. Yeah. And so, um, kind of back to the, the, the last strategy there. Back to the hub, where the example of the mom kind of talking through the, the feelings and sensations with her daughter lying down. That's not always going to be practical. Um, and I do like that they point that out. So with one of our kids who um, who's a very anxious person, um, the therapist asked them to think of a place where they feel very happy, find their happy place. And so she identified something. Um, and um, it's where, um, it's in Colorado. We go there every summer for, for foster adopt family camp. And... Uh, and so she drew the lodge that we stay in, and she put it on a wall. And her therapist said, every time you feel, uh, feel scared, just think about that place. And then she also, um, they made what they called, the, she asked her to pick an animal. She picked a snake. And she said, every time you feel anxiety, you have to see that your worry snake. See it and tell it to leave you alone. Um, and I know that sounded, those things sounded kind of corny. They did to me at first. But I tell you what, that child had so much anxiety she wouldn't ride a bicycle without training wheels. Um, and then after this worry snake thing, we took the training wheels off. And she literally, before she got on the bike, said she told her worry snake to leave her alone. Mm-hmm. And I ran to the street, let go. And now she rides a bicycle. And it's so funny that she rode to the top of the street, kind of got it under control. And then when she came back down... Um, because kids are kids. She's pedaling fast, and then she stood on the, the crossbar at the top and held on and kind of balancing herself. I'm like, seriously, we went from training wheel to, to circus to circus <laughs> in one minute. <laughs> wow, that is an effective strategy. And, and I love how here we are towards the end of the summer and towards the end of our series, tying things back into one of the first discussions we had with Name Entertainment, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it, it just, it all... We're we're integrating as we're we're going through this book, reading about how to help our kids integrate, and I think it's just fantastic. That's in and between strategies. In and between. To use the Thompson quote. Okay, guys, uh, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Um, We have uh, what do we have? One more one more chapter of strategies to go after this one. Is that right? right. Chapter six. Is my math right? And I can usually stay tuned for the me we connection that's right i'm looking forward to that one so um just as a uh, uh mostly out of tradition more than anything else i'd like to <laughs> flop it around the room here real quick and get some final thoughts who wants to go first um I, I will mine's short what ryan was talking about is guided imagery and there's a reason that that's a therapeutic tool um because we find we find strength and benefit from it and so um and that's anything from in the book the mom laying down with with a child and talking about what she's experiencing within her body um it does feel corny and silly um and it's really going to feel corny and silly. I think that's kind of your litmus tale of how attuned are you to your own body? How mindful are you? Because if it feels that corny, we may need to do it for ourselves rather yeah, than practice it point. for our children. Um, but you can look online and just Google guided imagery for kiddos, and there's plenty of scripts. You don't have to memorize them. It's going um, to be new and unfamiliar for many of us. But get started. Put this in your toolbox because it's a great tool to have when that anxiety starts to come, that fear, that uncomfortableness. And we can help our kiddos uh, just sit and relax and be mindful of what's going on within their bodies and mind. My closing thoughts are, number one, I'd like to apologize for all of the coughing, uh, whatever blew in last night. Um, 
my body does not like. So I apologize for that. Uh, the other thing, though, is we have to help our kids connect with their emotions. We have to help them understand their emotions. We have to give them the vocabulary to use. All of those things are our responsibility. You can't, the kids don't thrive in isolation, and we've talked about this before in other episodes. Other regulated, co-regulated, self-regulated. And if we really want people who are able to self-regulate, this is right in the co-regulation part. We were helping them understand their feelings, helping them give them words, and stuff like that. So I think, you know, it's take a little bit of time, but but it is so, so, so well worth it because we do want to raise children. People say to us they want to raise children who are productive members of society who love the Lord. Well, what are you prepared to do? Because this is one of the things you have to do if you want to raise that kid. Okay, and then mine is going to be quick and easy. It's uh, find a feelings chart uh, and uh, and implement it. Use it. Stumble across it. Find Laminate somebody it. to help you with it. Hang it up. Put it in your wallet. Uh, get one of those really big ones and fold it into a tiny little square <laughs> and put it in your pocket. That way you always know it's there. <laughs> so, you know, when you talked about the feelings earlier, we actually have one that has um, the feelings just vertically down the side, mm. the faces, mm-hmm. and it's laminated on our fridge, and there's a clothespin, and then the kids can yeah. put how are you feeling yeah. right I now when they, when they go by. Yeah. I love that. I've seen somewhere the whole whole thing is a magnet, or you get a magnet yep. and put on, like you kind of move, like a frame, like mm-hmm. a picture frame to frame the face that you're feeling. There's a lot of things you can do, but it is so important. I, I, it, it is frustrating at times in the same way that like my, my oldest child, my son was, is very gifted with numbers and math and he surpassed my abilities a long time ago. Um, I'm finding that my five-year-old, because I think of the seeds that I planted in the foundation that I help lay and understanding her feelings is, is already almost to that point of surpassing my understanding of feeling. Um, and that's, that's, uh, can be frustrating, but it's, it's also uh, a really big blessing and it's, it's fun to watch them grow in that way. And, and this is, it's a foundation, um, that, that all of our children need. So Amen. take the time, uh, be, you know, take the time, do whatever you need to, to, to help your kids understand and, and if that means you got to understand first, then there you go. Absolutely. That's, that's the way it works. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, this is the end of uh, this particular episode. I do want to remind you, please, uh, I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it all the time. Um, we're trying to grow the show. So share it with your friends. Share it with people you don't like. Uh, we'll convert them over into folks that are, are like-worthy. Um, and uh, and we certainly hope that you think that our show is like worthy. Uh, so and if you do, uh, give us thumbs up and and five stars and and uh, write reviews about us. Please. Actually, yes, I, I lied. I have I have one more. Maybe I didn't lie. Maybe a lie is different than what I did. But I I, I misled you. I do have one more thought. I really like what uh, what Lori challenged uh, you on a few moments ago in relation to uh, the seven. Uh, what did you call them? Basic feelings. Basic feelings. So here's what I want. I want to see. I want to see comments. I want to see evidence that you're actually implementing the things that we're suggesting that you do. And so anytime that you do this, if you actually have a pulse and your children have a pulse, you're going to come with, come away from that experience with a story. And True story. I'd love yes. to see yes. those stories. To share those yep. stories, whether it's in the comments on YouTube, uh, join our Facebook group, and. Um, and uh, put them into the into the Facebook group. Um, communicate back with us. Let us know how it's going, um, and, and that's a good a good way to tell your own story, uh, to benefit your own process, and, and those that are uh, maybe kind of flirting around the uh, fringes of our little community here. Um, give them a reason to jump in as well. Just go ahead and commit. Come on, Come on. just be a part of this family. We're right. fun, right? I feel like. Well, we're they're going to feel like we're fun after they see you laugh so hard you cry. 
after we show them a viewing of Con Air. I'll tell you what we do is you just clip that piece out and use it as a promotional video. I probably will. <laughs> just Lori sitting there laughing. We'll see how it goes. Wiping tears out of her eye. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.